Hey guys, great to be with you this evening, and whether you are online or in the building, uh, I'm looking forward to sharing some thoughts with you. Um, I don't know whether you guys were around this, this time last week, uh, but if you were, you may well have heard Matt talking about Jonah. Um, we are this uh, summer looking at heroes of the faith, um, and particularly thinking about some of the heroes in the Old Testament. As I said, Matt was speaking about Jonah. Um, he was very angry, he was very defensive, uh, and he was a defiant man whose hero status is pretty hidden for the majority of his story. If you don't know it, um, or you didn't get a, a chance to catch up with what Matt said last week, I would encourage you to go online and to have a listen. Um, it's really inspiring, uh, and I can guarantee that eventually, although it is quite hidden, Jonah's hero status does emerge. So it is definitely worth putting some time into investing in that. Today, I'm guessing all I would probably need to say to you, even if Ellie hadn't so brilliantly read the passage for us, uh, if I said the words animal, flood, and ark, I'm guessing you'd probably have a pretty good stab at guessing who I was going to be talking to you about. Obviously, my hero of choice for this evening is Noah. Of course, we all know that Noah builds a boat, that he invites every, two of every animal onto it, uh, and that they all survive to tell the tale. A nice story with a happy ending. If you went to Sunday school when you were little, maybe you played a game of matching pairs where you were trying to match up animals. Maybe you sang a song about animals going to the ark two by two, hurrah, hurrah. Maybe, quite probably, you will have done some coloring of a rainbow and a dove. But I wonder how many people have sat and thought about Noah much further beyond that. What does it mean to us here today? Is it just a nice story? That I think too often Noah is perceived to be one of those nice stories uh, that um, is a really good way of introducing kids to the Bible. Uh, it's a nice, happy story with a good ending. It's about animals. Um, everything goes well. And then we kind of park it and we move on and we think about what comes next in the Bible. Maybe you have spent a little bit of time thinking about, well, where did the dinosaurs fit? Did they ever make it onto the ark? Did unicorns ever exist? Were they kind of again shunned by Noah? What was going on there? Maybe you've seen Evan Almighty or maybe you have seen Noah, the biopic. Maybe when you see a rainbow in the sky, you're transported back to your five-year-old self coloring in. Maybe some of you were really neat coloring, some of you just kind of scribbling all over the place. I'd love, though, to spend a little bit more time today going into the story in more depth. Ellie read just a short passage, which sums up lots of the story, but as we go into it, we can unpack much more detail. It was... Ten, ten verses, I think, that Ellie read. Actually, it covers three and a bit chapters in Genesis. So the ten verses that Ellie read give us a really good overview of the story, but there is so much more that we can bring out of it. We meet Noah very, at the very first um, encounter with him is in a long genealogy that follows through right from Adam and Eve. And we hear a long list of descendants uh, of them, who cover thousands of years. For most people, we find out who their children were and how long they lived. But for Noah, we pause and we unpack the story more deeply. 
In verse 28 of chapter 5, our introduction to Noah uh, is as Lamech, his father, speaks over him. He declares, he will comfort us in the labor and the painful toil of our hands caused by the ground the Lord has cursed. It indicates there's a a deeper sense of purpose. There is a calling on Noah's life that makes him a really important character for us to consider. Before we do that, Genesis 6 then takes us into a really good backstory in terms of what has brought us to this point and the events that lead up to the flood that we are so familiar with. In verse 5 of chapter 6, we read, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created, and with them all animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground. For I regret that I have made them. There's no pulling punches there, is there? God looks at his creation, and he is disappointed He despairs at what he intended to be the absolute pinnacle of his creation. It's all starting to feel pretty doom and gloom. But then, verse 8 throws us a glimmer of hope. We read just a short short phrase, but it reads, But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. There's a bit of a change in the narrative. So what credentials does Noah have to be the hero of our story today? In all honesty, we don't get huge amounts of insight into him as a person prior to the the narrative unfolding. But what we do read uh, in chapter 6 and verse 9 is that Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. That's a key distinctive that we're going to keep coming back to over the course of the story. Noah seems to be a bit of a positive renegade. He's going against the flow. He's leading his family in faithful obedience to God, whilst everybody around him is turning their back on God, deciding they don't need him, and deciding they can do better themselves. We often here today hear the challenge to be countercultural in outworking our faith. Noah seems to be a good source of inspiration for that. Now the scenario is set. Let's dive more deeply into the narrative and see what we can learn. I've got three headlines that I want to draw out, the first of which is God speaks and Noah listens. Now the Bible doesn't go into the fine detail of exactly how God chose to speak to Noah and how Noah chose to hear from God. But it does make it clear that God spoke to Noah and that Noah heard him. We read again from verse 12 that God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and outside. He then goes on to describe the boat, what it should be like, how big it should be, what it should be made from. 
And then goes on to describe to Noah how he should populate the boat by encouraging his own family to join him. And then to invite pairs of every animal onto that boat too. Whilst we don't know how, how Noah heard God, we do know that God chose to speak and that Noah was tuned in enough to hear what God was saying. He was recognized the voice of God and was able to discern a clear pathway. It wasn't a vague, oh, I've got a sense that God might be saying this. He was really specific. He was called to build a boat with exact measurements from exact types of wood. And he does exactly that. God speaks to Noah of his disappointment and the route that the rest of humanity is taking. But Noah is recognized by God as being faithful to him and that he hasn't conformed to everything else that's going on around him, following the crowd. Because of this, Noah is given a get-out, albeit a very strange get-out. Imagine being in the desert, hasn't rained for months and months and months, and God says, do you know what you need? You need a big boat. And when you've built that big boat, do you know what you're going to do? You're going to live on it. And not only are you going to live on it, you need to get all the animals, two of every kind, on that boat as well, and you're all going to hang out on this boat, which, whilst big, isn't as big as the world, obviously. Can you imagine how you would react if God asked you to do that today? Or if he asked your parent to do that, or a sibling to do that, or your partner to do that, or your child to do that, one of your friends. However unlikely it seems, God spoke and Noah listened. Together, they worked to act in a plan. And that plan happened to be a big enough plan to save humanity. Despite the odds being stacked against him, Noah recognized the call that God had on his life. That is the plan and the purpose that God had for him in the here and now. We read that Noah listened and obeyed time and time again throughout the, the uh, three chapters that the story plays out over. And not only does he listen and obey but his obedience sees results. It sees things changed. If the person who managed to save humanity, as well as all of the animals and the rest of the world from total destruction, isn't a hero, I don't know who is. I can't think of anyone better. So God speaks and Noah listens. My second uh, headline is this. Noah acts, and God sees. Repeatedly, we read, and Noah did all the Lord commanded. He didn't just hear it and go, oh yeah, that sounds like a nice idea. He heard it, he agreed with it, and he got on and did it. He built the boat. He invited his family on board. He gathered pairs of every animal to populate the boat. Who knows what happened about unicorns? No one around him would have had any idea of the impending flood that was to come. 
Not only was it the most random possible thing in the middle of a desert to consider that the floods would come and wipe everything away, not only that, but they were too busy going on about their everyday life. They'd forgotten about God. They'd decided that they didn't need him to be the best people that they could be, that they could do it themselves, that they had everything that they needed, and that was enough. We read that they were seeking out pleasure, that they were living corrupt and violent lifestyles. And all of those things build walls so that we end up completely ignoring God. I should imagine, however, whilst God, uh, sorry, whilst Noah was committed to God and was committed to living a lifestyle that pleased God, his family may well have had some questions around the validity of this sense of call he had. I wonder whether, while they were sitting around the, the dinner table, um, having lunch one day, whether Mrs. Noah or one of the sons might have gone, Noah, really? you sure this is what we're supposed to be doing? No one else is. They're all just carrying on doing everything that they've always done. Why don't we just have an easy life and forget about it? I imagine the possibility of them questioning even whether it was going to be starting to rain. And that's before they even had to think about inviting all the animals on board as well. However, again, we read that Noah did everything the Lord commanded. From verse 17 in chapter 7, we read, For 40 days the flood kept coming on the earth, and as the waters increased, they lifted the ark high above the earth. The waters rose and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the surface of the water. They rose greatly on the earth, and all the high mountains under the entire heavens were covered. The waters rose and covered the mountains to a depth of more than 15 cubits. Every living thing that moved on land perished. Birds, livestock, wild animals, all the creatures that swarm over the earth, and all mankind. Everything on dry land that had breath of life in its nostrils died. Every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out. People and animals and the creatures that move along the ground and the birds were wiped from the earth. Only Noah and his family were left, and those with him in the ark. The waters flooded the earth for 150 days. So, everything happened as God said it would. But things aren't looking great, even for Noah. Yes, he may have survived the flood, but yes, he's still stuck on this boat, and yes, he's still surrounded by all these smelly, noisy, dirty animals. Imagine looking outside and being able to see nothing but water. Literally, you look out this side, all you can see is water. You look there, just water. You kind of hope that when you turn around that way, you might see a little bit of a mountain. But no, it's just water. Imagine that that's your view for six months. I can kind of understand that Noah may have imagined that he'd been forgotten He'd been abandoned. He'd been left to fend for himself. I can imagine that tempers were high and patience was in pretty low supply on that boat. I imagine it must have been a pretty dark and challenging season for Noah and for his family. But then we read in chapter 8 
God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark. And he sent a wind over the earth and the waters receded. Imagine the sigh of relief that Noah and his family must have breathed when they were able to put their feet on land again for the first time in a long time. Their commitment to God and to his call on their life had not been misplaced. Noah had acted in the way that he was asked to, despite that being completely counter to everybody and everything that was going on around him. As a result, he and his family were spared, and God proved his faithfulness. God remembered Noah and honored Noah's commitment to following the plan that he had called him to. As a result, God saved him, and as a result of that, he has saved all of humankind. So Noah acts, and God sees. Thirdly, my final headline from the story is this. Noah worships, and God promises. Again, I can only imagine, as I've said before, that sense of freedom and relief that his family must have felt when they eventually got off that boat. How easy would it have been for them to go, yeah, didn't we do brilliantly? We built this boat. We got all these animals on board. We've survived this flood. So easy for them to have become proud and arrogant. But instead, we read in verse 18 of chapter 8 this. So Noah came out together with his sons and his wife and his sons' wives. All the animals and all the creatures that move along the ground and all the birds, everything that moves on land, came out of the ark, one kind after another. Then... Noah built an altar to the Lord, and taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. God remained at the heart of Noah's activity despite the inevitable hardships, despite the challenges he and his family had faced. And it was to God to whom they turned with their thanks and their praise once they were safely back on land. Because of this act of worship, God speaks to Noah once more. In verse 12 of chapter 9, we read this. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I've set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in those clouds, I will will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will water become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. So Noah worships. And God promises even more. I hope you're starting to see it's a little bit more than a story that's a good way into the Bible. Actually, it has massive repercussions for us here now in Bristol today. Even more amazingly, God's promise extends beyond Noah through history to us right now Whether you're sat at home or whether you are in this room, it speaks to us today. 
The flood and the story of Noah and the ark seems like a bit of a reset button. The world had turned from God, and he couldn't stand and watch it fall completely. God doesn't want to wipe out humanity, but he sees no other way of of solving at that point in history the issues of sin and the arrogance of humanity who turned their back on him and decided they can do it their own way. He wants to wipe that out, and he wants to realign those he created into his plans and his purposes. Does that sound familiar? Can we think of other links to stories we might hear today? The story of Noah foreshadows the gospel of Jesus' story, who also comes to reset and to realign us with God's plans and his purposes. He seals his covenant with us through the life and the death of Jesus. In the New Testament, Luke refers to Noah in the genealogy of Jesus, making really clear links between the two characters. In both Matthew and Luke, Noah, uh, sorry, Jesus talks specifically of Noah and the flood. He says this, As the days of Noah were, so the coming of the Son of Man will be. For in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day Noah boarded the ark. They didn't know until the flood came and swept them all away. In other words, we need today to be reminded that our focus should be on God and what he is calling us to. It's so easy to be distracted by everything that's going on around us, but what are we missing by doing that? Jesus had an even more important role to play than Noah. Through Jesus' death on the cross and his coming back to life in the resurrection story we read of at Easter, God deals with the barrier that was created between us and our sin and the things that we do wrong and the times that we say we can do it better than him. So that we have free access when we turn away from that stuff and we commit our lives to God. Uh, And he enables us to walk alongside him and into the fullness of life he has for us. So much of the story of Noah is about God's first stage plan of redemption for the world. But it's also about one man in the here and now listening to God and understanding the plan that God has for him. We often talk about calling. That's what it means. The challenge for us, then, is the same as the challenge for Noah. Are we able to quieten some of the distractions? Are we able to forget about what people around us are doing and being distracted by and recognize that God speaks to us? That might look very different for different people. Maybe for some people, you hear God speaking through the Bible. For others, it's about conversations with people, uh, and they might make suggestions into your life. Maybe it's a series of coincidences that all kind of point in one direction. When I was going through the process of uh, discerning whether or not to pursue vicar training, um, we were in London, uh, and there were all sorts of different things, different ways in which God spoke to me about, actually, yes, I'm calling you to explore vicar training, but I'm also exploring you to think about Bristol and to think about doing it in a different way to the way that you anticipate. 
I had conversations with people who I kind of set out my stall and said, this is the way that I'm going to do it if I do this. And they went, really? Maybe think about doing it like this. And then, <laughs> this is a slightly random one, uh, I had uh, started to look at the idea of Bristol. I knew of this place called Trinity, um, which is the college that I'm currently studying at, but that was it. And I was walking past a shop, having just been to a meeting with the diocese about whether or not I should carry on pursuing this. And in a, a completely abandoned shop at eye height in the window was an A4 piece of paper, and it just said, choose Trinity. And amongst a whole sequence of random events like that, actually, it began, began to drip into my thinking and made me go, do you know what? Maybe God's got a better plan. Maybe we're done with London for now. Maybe that's still in our future, but for now... Maybe we need to take this Bristol thing seriously. We started pushing doors in Bristol, and they all swung open. We got a house. We got Finn into a school 200 meters away from the house. Everything happened and fell into place, despite it being against all of the natural order of the world. So in the same way that God invites Noah into the story, he now invites us into the story. As we listen to him and we think about what it is he's saying and how he might be directing us, maybe he's calling you to play your part wherever you are right now. He needs people in schools. He needs people in workplaces. He needs people in the arts. He needs people in politics. He needs people in the church. He needs people out on the streets. Wherever God is calling you, whether you are there right now or whether it's somewhere you feel you need to be, be assured that he doesn't call us as experts in our field. We are not equipped for our calling until we start to step into our calling. And the more we step into it, the more equipped we become. God knows us inside out. He knows where our strengths are. He knows where our weaknesses are. But still, he calls us. But more importantly, recognize that we are not called in isolation. We are called to partner with him. He's already at work. He's already doing the stuff. He just needs some help to, to actually get it actioned here on earth. So we're called to partner with God and to play the part that he is asking us to. Not to compare ourselves to other people and go, I can't do that. Or, oh, I wish I was doing that. That looks really fun. Actually, what, it is, what is it that God is calling you to specifically and as you grow into that, you will find that it brings you life and it brings you joy and it will stretch you and encourage you. It might not be easy. Noah's story was not easy. Lots of the decisions he had to make were not easy. But it brings you life and it ultimately sees you through the storms that this world throws at us. So coming into land, I'm going to throw those same points out that I picked out from the story of Noah to us today. So... When God speaks, are we ready to hear him? When we do hear him, are we ready to act upon what we hear? If we do, God sees. And when God shows up, will we worship him? Will we turn our thanks and our praise to him? Or will we absorb it into ourselves? If we worship God and we thank him, for inviting us on this journey. God extends his promises here to us today in the same way he did to Noah. 
and we can see lives and situations transformed. Before I hand back to Andy and Ellie, I'd just like to pray for us briefly about some of this stuff. Father God, I thank you that you are not a distant and far off God, but that you are a God that is infinitely linked into our day-to-day lives, Father God. I pray that you help each of us to be open and receptive to hearing from you, to make time away from the distractions of life, and to stop ourselves from comparing each other, uh, ourselves to each other and being swayed by what other people are doing. And in that time, God, I pray that you speak to us. Give us direction and vision and purpose. And God, we pray that in that vision and direction and purpose, we can take those steps to working in partnership with you. And by stepping out into that and praising you within those, those circumstances, God, we pray for change in our own lives, in the lives of the people around us, and in the spheres of influence in which we find ourselves. Amen.